Welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Anna Dimmel. I'm a blogger, author of two books. I ran a nonprofit and was also a pastor. You could say I've lived some life. I'm here now inviting you to go behind the mirror as we drop the masks and dig deep into real conversation. Welcome. Hello, you guys. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode five. I think, I think we're at five. Um, and today we are just diving into a topic I have been so eager to just hash out lately with all of the things going on um, in our world, in our nation, specifically current events. This is very applicable to, but outside of that, this topic has much to do with really how I have lived my life and what I was taught to believe in how to live my life and how as of lately, I'm really kind of having these aha moments where I'm looking in the mirror and going, oh my gosh, have we really done this to, to women, not only in society, but in our churches? Is this really something we've just grown so accustomed to and so normalized by. And um, I say all that, you see where I'm headed with the topic that I'm going with today, and that is one of patriarchy and how much of that has been threaded through my life in harmful ways, in ways that not only hurt me inside my my inner parts of me, inside of my soul parts of me, inside of my headspace, um, inside of relationships, but also inside of church and inside of ministry. And I think most women, if they're honest and sit down with themselves, would open up and go, yeah, me too. But the thing is, We've tied God so much to this inside the church that a lot of us feel like we don't have permission to say anything about it. And a lot of us have felt like, if I buck this system, I've been taught that means I'm bucking God. So I've dug into this um, for a while now, and recently I've really just been absorbing other minds who have gone even further in research than I have. And... I wanted to share with you everything that I have just gathered inside my head about this topic because I think it's important. So I will start with myself and how this has affected me. Um, The message I received growing up was, above all else, if you are good, if you love God, you will submit to your spiritual authority. And when you're younger, that means your dad. And then when you grow up a little bit, that means your pastor. And then when you get married, that means your husband and your pastor. Um, Basically, it says, and and I don't know that anyone ever says this outright, but this is certainly a message that is very known and very understood, but just worded in a prettier way than I'm going to say it to you. Basically, we're told, don't do anything without their approval. And I just accepted that as okay. My whole life. I mean, I have never thought outside of those lines. And so in recent years to begin thinking outside those lines is monumental for me. I will be honest. I am, I'm learning this as I go. Um, and it really started with, for me personally, 
what is spiritual authority? I mean, I mean, that's a term that has been thrown at me from the time I could speak. And so what is this idea of spiritual authority? And um, after spending a lot of time in the Bible, in my quiet space with God, in um, just conversation internally, the only definition I know to put on spiritual authority is God. Not any human. Because if we believe that there is an all-knowing being, right, that when we die, we get to meet, and a lot of us have been taught and a lot of us believe that we will give an account for our life in that moment, right? Um, I'm not going to answer to my pastor. I'm not going to answer to my husband. I'm certainly not going to answer to my parents. I'm going to answer to that all-knowing being, God. And so the question becomes, okay, if I only will answer to God, then why have I been told my whole life that I have to submit to men? In a sense that when it comes to my spiritual health, my spiritual decisions, my spiritual well-being, that I am not capable of moving and deciding and making things on my own with God. It has to go through a man. Why is that? I think the subtle message, when I break it down, what it says to me is this. It's that we don't believe women are capable of hearing and obeying and connecting with God without man's help. We don't believe that they're capable of that. And I say that out loud and I kind of laugh because I'm like, well, that is preposterous. That is ridiculous. But honestly, why else would we have to answer to men if that wasn't the belief in place? So that that right there, when I when I broke all of that down, that is when I started going, whoa, whoa. That does not sit well with me. And and you know, my parents will tell you, I certainly was not um the most cooperative of children. I I definitely had my own opinion, had my own voice. I was called the word stubborn, <laughs> um, hard-headed, all those things, all growing up. So it is not as though I've lived my life with my head down. However, as I pushed against male authority in my life, I was often reminded by use of scripture and the Bible of my place. And so I'm going to get into that today, just some of the messages that were said to me using scripture and how now later I have found that scripture actually completely goes against this idea of patriarchy. Okay, so skipping forward to to married life. I was a young married, like early 20s, and I went to one of those weekend marriage retreat conferences, right? Now, they have definitely improved um, from this one that I'm going to reference today, vastly improved. But this one... Um, it was sweet. You know, they greeted the women with flowers and and we all had, you know, little pamphlets, little booklets to write our notes in, right? It was it was at a hotel, supposed to be a romantic getaway for you and your spouse. Okay, so I go and I'd never been to marriage counseling. I'd never been to a marriage retreat. I'm a young married. I'm like, you know, teach me master, right? I am ready to absorb all the things. And so we're sitting there and... um they had their open speaker. And then after the first speaker, they separated men and women. So I go with the women. I've got my little notebook out. And they just like 
hit it hard, like right out of the gate. And I will not break down everything they said, but this was the main message that came across. Anytime your husband wants to have sex with you, you have to say yes. Because by saying no, you are making him vulnerable to every other woman out there who will say yes. And I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh. I mean, that gripped me and I lived by that for a long time. Like that, I, I sincerely believed that men are not capable of staying faithful to their wives unless their wives are given it out all the time, every time they're asked, whatever is asked, anytime they're asked. And I was told that was my wifely spiritual duty was to submit to him and give him anything he wanted at any time to prevent an affair. Okay. I was also told if he tends to get angry with me, if he starts acting like he has an anger problem, that's a good sign that I am speaking too much. I need to learn to be more quiet. These were, li- these were literally in my notes, people. Like, this is what was being taught. It was a pastor's wife. This is what she was teaching. And they quoted a verse. Um, is it a gentle answer turns away wrath? I think that's the one they used for that. And, of course, now I think vastly different on that verse. However, that was what was taught to me. Okay. So, so far, do not say no to sex. And certainly... If my husband starts to get angry, that's a good sign. I need to just hush up and be quiet no matter what the topic. Okay. Then this goes on to say if he's rough with you at all, meaning if anything turns kind of violent, that you need to examine yourself to see if you did something to invite that violence in your home. As though it was your fault. I just... I I still to this day, and, and at the time, I absorbed all of this thinking, oh, this is so wise. But now I look back and I'm like, oh, sweetie, you poor thing. Like I look back at young 20-something self and I just, my heart breaks because I was set up for so much pain and heartache because of these messages. Okay. It goes on. Um, the last point that they made was to not dress too provocatively because by doing that, you'll invite men's attention. And you don't want too much men's attention because that could lead to an affair. Like you would have no self-control over yourself to say no to the affair, right? Like, like, oh my gosh, it's totally my fault if a man hits on me, right? So in summary, all of these things told me this message that... A, I don't have a voice. B, I can't say no. C, submit, 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 submit. And D, men have zero self-control. Because if I have the power by withholding sex or saying, no, I don't want to have sex or whatever, that that means my, my, my spouse would go out and cheat on me because he's not man enough to say no to cheating. What in the world kind of a message is that? What kind of men have we raised? What kind of men have we sent out there into the world that are having this message that, you know, I mean, is your wife not having sex with you? I mean, it's understandable you're looking at porn. It's understandable that you're cheating. That is so low of a view towards men. So low. And this idea that men can't help but gawk at you or hit on you because they lack such self-control that you better just 
watch the way you dress. I mean, it just, and, and that they have no control over their anger. You know, that if they become violent or if they become angry, that it's your fault. When you listen to this, ironically, it gives women a whole lot of power and men zero self-control. That is the message that was taught to me in my early young married days. So as I go on through life, you know, and, I, and I'm looking back over the history of my life, men in my life echoed this message very well. I was, um, when I was younger, around the age of eight, I was molested by a male babysitter. I grow up, one of my first um, doctor's appointments, the doctor was inappropriate with me. As I go on and I start working in the corporate world, male bosses made sexual advances towards me continually. Um, and you know, I I was having this conversation with my brother the other day because he didn't know um, all of that. He knew a lot of that. He didn't know all of it. And I was sharing some of that with me. And he's like, oh my God, why didn't you say something? And I look back at young me and I say the same thing. Why didn't I say anything? Why didn't I turn those people in? Well, one, if it's the male boss who's in charge of everybody, who is there to tell, right? There's no one to go above at that point. He was the top guy. But two, you know, with the doctor and with other situations, I just, I, I've really believed that men will be men. Boys will be boys. Maybe I did something to invite that. Maybe I did something to bring that on. I just need to put my head down and just not be around them again. I mean, that is, that is le- legitimately how I processed those things. And I look back on that and I am sick because the church was the one sending so many of those messages. Um, as I moved on in life and began starting to feel like I, I would have used the word called back then. I don't know if I would use that word now. Um, but I knew from an early age that pastoral work was my, my fit. I, I did. And because I had this mindset of submit to authority. Okay. So that meant husband. Luckily my husband was fine with that, but then that meant pastoral, meaning the male pastor over me, I had to submit to him seeing that calling on my life, right? And so a lot of women, myself included in this, would just wait for their male pastor to notice that they're good at this thing and invite them to work in it. We're taught to be humble. We're taught to be submissive. We're taught to be meek. We're taught to be quiet. So the idea of this like going after something because we want it or going after something because we feel that that's what God wants us to do, very backwards to, and honestly, very confusing because they send this message that women can do anything. Women are daughters of God. Go change the world, but don't be loud. Don't be too much of a go-getter. Make sure you submit to every man above you in authority. I mean, it's like, well, no wonder we're not advancing anywhere. You know, I, no wonder, because we're sitting on our hands waiting for a man in authority to, to bring us up, right? It's just, it's, it's so sad. It is so sad. Luckily, um, I got over that. Um, took me a couple years, but I, I did eventually get over that. And I was like, mm, I don't know how I feel about this. Because I'm essentially waiting for God to tell this pastor 
that I have something to offer, something to bring to the table. But maybe that pastor's not like, I'm not on the radar. They're not thinking about little me. They're not thinking about that. They're thinking about what they're supposed to be doing, right? They're thinking about their family. They're thinking about their stuff. And my stuff is different. My stuff has its own rhythm, its own thing. And so I slowly began to let go of the shame involved with going out on my own, so to speak, going rogue is what it felt like a little bit. Um, I slowly let go of that shame and I started doing my own thing. And it was the best gift I could have given to myself. Um, And that, honestly, that was the beginning of me unraveling this idea of spiritual authority because I started giving myself permission to have one spiritual authority, which was God. And I found over and over again that when I trusted that voice and I trusted what he said for me to do and where he was kind of like laying out the breadcrumb trail, right, for me to follow, everything seemed to line up great. Everything seemed to land perfectly. It just... It was so much easier than trying to do this system that didn't work. So I go out on my own, right? I I get hired at a church and I start um, working there, teaching there. And I will say that the pastor um, who was the head pastor of that church, of course, was a man. But he was wonderful, absolutely wonderful to me. And I, it took me a bit to trust him, but I I learned he didn't look at me any differently because I was a woman. And it was something we talked about towards the end quite often of how I, I began opening up to him about how challenging it was to be taken seriously because I'm five foot one and I'm tiny and I'm a girl and I have all these babies. And so people just paint you into a box when you look like that. And he was excellent at challenging me and um, giving me permission to debate him, giving me permission to argue scripture and theology with him. Um, And we did. We went round and round. And that was one of the most healthy, for lack of a better term, spiritual authority men in my life. Um, It was probably the healthiest I felt because he didn't ever try to change me to his ways of thinking. And we differed on a few things, but he certainly voiced his opinion. I voiced mine and we respected each other. It was, it was beautiful, but he was one person. Um, and I, I ran into a lot of things in that job, but one of them, um, I remember being, being told that I needed to, to change the way I dressed when I was teaching from the pulpit on Sunday mornings. Now I mentioned before I'm small. I, was a youth pastor at this time. And so, you know, I'm used to teaching kids. So I'm in skinny jeans and like, you know, an oversized shirt or something. And my little Toms just showing up as me. I I took a vow when I took that job. I will not let go of who I am. Like this is me. And so I'm up there teaching. And I remember being told like after one of my sermons that I needed to change the way I dressed because my jeans were too tight. The skinny jeans just, they showed too much of my curves and too much of me. And and I received a um, little, how would I put this? Um, a little small teaching 
from these people on on how men work and how their minds think again echoing everything I heard when I was younger um how they don't have you know much self-control and their minds are just going to think one thing and you just got to be careful and I was like are you kidding me because how many times have I seen men especially now in non-denominational churches that are all you know in this big trendy relevant kick they're all wearing super tight jeans and like form-fitting shirts. Some of them have like the top couple buttons undone. And like, I'm just like, really? Because men are doing the same thing. And women are not not sexual. Like, yes, men think sexually. Guess what? Women do too. We all are sexual beings. Hate to break that. Hate to break that news, but we all are sexual. And so... If women are expected to learn self-control and not like pant when they see a man from a pulpit in tight jeans and kind of an unbuttoned shirt, okay, men can learn self-control too. Like it just, oh, that whole thing. Not a fan, not a fan. But this is, again, this has become so normalized that a lot of us, especially women, have learned to put our heads down and just accept the fact that this is our role. Okay, well, as I've learned, the Bible has a lot to say about this topic. And um, and I probably will not teach this as well as others who have made this their life's work. But I have gathered, you know, gathered my wool, if you will, to make, um, to create my own viewpoint on this and to to give myself this was a gift I gave to myself in learning this to free myself and hopefully to free my daughters so um, and if you're a man listening to this oh my god yes to help you see how God views women from a biblical perspective so when you start at the beginning of the Bible he creates male and female and we're told that the male and female were made as image bearers of God. So right at the get-go, you see that both male and female were made as little God projects, right? Made in the image of God is something I love to say all the time because I do believe that. Both God qualities, both made in God God's image equally. You don't see how God encouraged or made or said that either one of them were to rule over the other one. You see them made as equal. And um, I know a lot of people jump on that train. Well, but the woman was given as a helper. She was given as a helper. And so that makes, you know, the man in charge and her the helper. Well, actually, if you dig into that word, I think it's used around 29 some odd times in scripture, front to back. And it is typically used, this word helper is typically used as saying that God is our helper. It's usually used in that context in other passages. This word helper is used in the context of God being our helper. And a lot of times when you read those passages, it is from a military type perspective of God being this strong force that comes in and helps us defeat our enemies, right? Old Testament crazy fun stuff there. That's usually how you see the word helper used in scripture. So the idea that that a woman was made 
many would argue is made as a helper to men. Well, if you're going to use that biblical word, you have to look at it in the context of all of scripture and all of scripture speaks to that word in a strong godlike sense, not in a weaker sense that we're only helping because we can't lead. No, it's it's in the context of the same way that you would cry out to God to help you because you can't do it. You can't defeat your enemies. And so you cry out for God to come and help you defeat them. That is the context of this word helper. So I think we have strongly, strongly misunderstood and um, really devalued the extent of what that word means. So skipping past that part in Genesis, we then see the fall. And this is where a lot of people believe patriarchy began was the fall. Uh, it's the first one of the first examples we see of mankind stepping outside of God's perfect way, where men and women were created as equal God image bearers. And we attempt to do things on our own. Um, but the cool thing is that all throughout biblical history, we see God and Jesus continually disrupting this idea of patriarchy. And I'm going to give you a few examples because, and I, and I can't dive into each one um, for long, but I will just kind of skirt over them so you can tuck them away and go study them on your own if you want. But one of the first um, things that jumps out in scripture is, you know, patriarchy says that sons are more valuable than daughters. And you see this in biblical times. You see this in a lot of countries historically, past biblical times. Sons, especially the first son, was the most important thing. And, and you would pray and pray and pray that God would give you a son because they were seen as more valuable. And especially in biblical times, the first son would even receive a double portion of the inheritance. That is how much more valued he was. And then you look at all these stories in scripture where God completely disrupts that value system. He chose David, uh, not the first son, very far from the first son. You see Jacob, not the first son. You see Joseph, certainly not the first son. You see God himself anointing, raising up, not first sons. So even from early, early biblical stories, if you're looking for this, it's almost like like a bright light, like screaming. God's like, hey, <laughs> yeah, y'all are created equal down there. You know, it's like the first son business of being all that great and everything. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to kind of show you that I don't think that way. In fact, I think very opposite of that way. Okay. That's one of your first examples. Moving on. We see, we see Deborah raise up and I, one of um, the last women's retreats I did or women's events I did, sorry. I, I taught on Deborah and I, I had so much fun teaching that story because until I taught it, I really hadn't dug into the context, researched the whole thing. And um, I won't get into the whole story here, but in summary, Deborah was asked by the military leaders to lead them because they trusted her. Not only that, but she was a judge. And in those times, being a judge was a big freaking deal. Not to mention she was a chick. 
she was a girl. So you see her working in a man's job, which is rarely seen then. And then you see military leaders asking her to lead them into battle, which she does. And she kicks butt. And so she is praised as this, you know, amazing woman of God. And that story is in our text. That story is in scripture. So the idea that women cannot lead men is stupid. Really stupid. Because that story alone shows that she didn't win because she was a girl. She didn't become a judge because she was a girl. It had nothing to do with her gender. It had everything to do with who she was. No one could do that job other than her because of who she was. She had everything in her needed to get that stuff done. So they didn't care that she was a girl. They said this is a job that she can do because of her traits, because of her qualities, because of her mind, because of the way she thinks, because of the way she operates. We see that all these traits match what needs to be done here. So again, this this idea of women not being able to lead men it's really sad because I think when you absorb that mentality, we quiet future Debras. We suppress future Debras. I, I just I look back on history and I think how many churches has have sat Debras in the back, made them sit on their hands, not let them speak, not let them rule, not let them use their wisdom to judge, not let them use their minds. To, to problem solve and to lead people that would so benefit from their leadership. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Okay. Skipping on to New Testament, Jesus shows up on the scene. And can I just say, favorite part in the Bible, just throwing that out there. I love how Jesus shows up and shows all of mankind how they have messed up their view of God. That's a whole nother podcast. But Jesus shows up and he begins dismissing the idea of patriarchy. I, I just mentioned how, how sons, right, were viewed as the most valuable thing in a man's household, right? How many sons do you have? This put them way up on the map and specifically the, you know, the first son, right? So daughters in biblical times were not valued nearly as much. In fact, they were viewed as property. They were, you know, essentially sold in a lot of ways to other men. As wives, they were given to men as though they were property. They were viewed that way. So when Jesus heals a man's daughter, you remember this story, right? This man like hunts Jesus down and he's like, my daughter is sick. And Jesus stops what he's doing and goes to the man's house to heal his little girl. By that act, he is disrupting patriarchy by saying, this life is valuable, so valuable, in fact, that I will stop what I'm doing. I will travel with this man And I will raise this girl from the dead. Back then, the idea of worrying to the extent of wanting to like 
even raise a daughter from the dead? Well, who needs a, a girl, right? Like they're dispensable. They certainly did not hold the value of a son. So when Jesus did this, he completely is disrupting the idea of value between genders. It's so, so cool. Okay, another example, um, when Mary is sitting at Jesus's feet, this completely dismantles patriarchy. Girls were not supposed to be taught. Girls were not supposed to learn because girls were not valued as that. What they're not going to teach, they're not going to be teachers. Why do they need to learn? They need to have babies, be in the house, be, you know, property. So the fact that Jesus is teaching a woman is, again, completely disrupting patriarchy. I mean, this stuff is crazy. It's all over scripture. We just, we haven't. We haven't been taught to read it this way, but when you start reading it this way, it's like, whoa, this is amazing. Okay, and the last example I'll give of Jesus um, was when he rose from the dead, right? This beautiful moment in scripture where the triumphant ending, right? Where he has conquered death and he rises again. Okay, so he rises from the dead. And does he first tell men about this? Does he expose himself to men first? No, he could have, but he didn't. He chose to expose who he was to a woman, Mary. And not only does he expose himself to a woman first, but he then instructs that woman to go and tell, teach, to go and tell the male disciples. He entrusts her with like the biggest moment in gospel, in the gospel story, really. I mean, this is like what we hang our hats on as this part of the story. He entrusts not a man, but a woman. He entrusts her with that message to go and tell men. So when you look at this, this was freeing for me. Guys, this was freeing because I I see how this God that I have grown to know quietly in my soul part of me, in my heart part of me, who has quietly encouraged me to buck the system so many times, who's encouraged me to color outside the lines, who's encouraged me to find my voice and to lead and to own that leadership Sometimes I have thought, oh my gosh, am I crazy? Like, am I crazy for thinking God would tell me to do these things? And I see these stories that were right in front of me the whole time in scripture. And I just didn't put two and two together, but I see it now. And I go, oh yeah, this is nothing new. He's been doing this the whole time. In fact, I venture to say he has always looked at women as he did in the garden Two equal God image bearers. We just saw it wrong later because we tried to do things in our own way. Um, you know, patriarchy, I heard I heard someone say this and I and I can't remember who I apologize, but they said patriarchy is one of those things that sets one group at the top in charge with many groups underneath. And and I think that's what we saw happen after the fall, right? Like that is when mankind decided how to survive. And oftentimes when people are trying to survive, 
they they cling to power, they cling to authority, they cling to anything that they feel cements their spot. And in doing this, it appears, if we look at history, that one way societies have done this is by oppressing women. We're blessed, we're fortunate to live here in the States where we don't see the kind of tragedies that still happen to women in other countries even today. It's horrific. Um, But even not that far back in America's history, women started voting. I mean, that wasn't that far behind us. And you skip into earlier history. This is just a little, this is a freebie, a little part of my, I love history. So I am constantly absorbing history. In the earlier records of our history, we, we see the practice of burning witches, right? Um, and again, this is one of those things that didn't occur to me until I started viewing all of these things through the lens of patriarchy. And then I was like, oh, it's making a lot of sense. And um, typically, witches were seen as being women. There's a few exceptions in history, but... But most of the time, like 90% of the time, they, those accused of witchcraft were women. So I dug into that a little bit of why, like, right? Like, why did they just assume that these horrible witchcraft bearing people were, were always women? Well, many believed back then that women were the weaker sex, surprise, surprise, And therefore were seen by the religious leaders as being more susceptible to fall into Satan's temptations. And a lot of these women were simply disliked um, on the outskirts of social groups, right? And because they seemed weird, these women... um, it was easy to target them as witches. They they were blamed that it was because of them that villages got sick. They were believed that it was because of these women that livestock died, right? These tragedies that happened in their world, they wanted someone to blame. And it was really easy to blame the old lady who doesn't talk to anybody, She's got to be a witch. Yes, she is a witch. I believe she's a witch. It's her, it's her spells she's casting. She's, she's definitely controlled by the devil. I mean, they just went bonkers. And I listened to one of the professors um, at Harvard, actually, who has studied this. I was listening to one of his podcasts, and he was saying how he's read the depositions of these trials. And what these women were accused of were so silly because you're reading gossip. Well, she happened to be in the village the the day that this child died, or or she, you know, she happened to to borrow some bread from us, um, and then our cow got sick and died. I mean, they just the things that they would string together to make some sort of a case that these women were witches is is laughable to us now, but looking back, how heartbreaking, right? And so. This is part of our country's history, and it's not that far behind us. But again, it ties into the idea that, well, men certainly couldn't be, you know, they wouldn't fall into Satan's traps. No, 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 no. But these women, I mean, they're weak, they're emotional creatures, so therefore they, you know, they are more susceptible to following Satan and his temptations, and so surely, you know, if there's a witch in our midst, it must be a woman. So sad. 
And, you know, skipping to today and tying this into to church life, um, we see this still. You know, I'm, I talked about what I was taught um, at that marriage conference, but our, our verbiage is different now, but I think a lot of the same messages are being said. Um, last year... I'm sure many of you remember the huge controversy when Jen Hatmaker and her husband, who's a pastor, um, when they came out as being an affirming church and people went bananas and the stuff that was written about them, the articles that went circling around the internet were just vicious. I mean, vicious. And, and I, I didn't read a lot of them. I didn't have the stomach for it. Um, but I remember, you know, taglines and catchphrases and so forth. And, and I remember one particular article saying how, um, that, you know, this is what you get when a woman is, is allowed to just run by her emotion. And, and this is what happens when not enough male leaders are in authority over women. And I, I remember reading that and about coming undone. Of course, we reached to... Oh, she's just being emotional. Yeah, that's why they are now, you know, changing their theology because she's just being emotional. Not once was credit given to her, at least in those articles, for the years that she and her husband dug and dug and dug into scripture and dug into theology and had the balls to wrestle with it. You know, a lot of these people throwing stones at them, they weren't doing the research they weren't spending hours in, you know, deep in theology and, and learning and growing and wrestling and having deep conversation with God over that topic. They weren't doing that work. And yet she's labeled as being too emotional. And I'm not saying everyone has to agree with their position at all. But what I'm saying is the fact that she would be dismissed simply for being, quote unquote, too emotional of a woman and not having enough male authority over her. Instead of looking at her going, okay, I respect that you did all of that research. I respect that you wrestled with this. You've prayed about this. You've gone deep into theology with this. And this is where you came out on the other side. Okay. People don't have to agree with her, but they they certainly should respect the work that went into her decision. But because she's a woman, the response and the labels given to her quickly went back to that patriarchal view that mankind has screwed up since the beginning. It's terrible. It's terrible. You know, that's just one example, but I I think a lot of us, even unknowingly, feel the effects of a gender bias. Um, you know, when you just think of of people that you think would carry authority, a lot of our minds go towards a man. Um, you know, it's, it's like so culturally, especially in the church culture, culturally norm to believe that things run by men naturally should carry more authenticity, more, more authority. And I believe that we are completely, completely devaluing the way God views mankind as men and women when we do that. And this has been something that I, having grown up in church culture, have absorbed my entire life. And not only that, but it has affected my entire life. And it hasn't been until recently that I am beginning to 
allow that to fall off of me because it has not worked. If I was still waiting for a pastor, man in authority over me, to see some sort of calling on my life and invite me into the role of pastoral leadership, I would still be waiting. I would be sitting in church on my hands, going absolutely bonkers with sermons going through my head, book titles flashing through my mind, and not doing anything with them. And that breaks my heart because this is so much a part of me. Like I was made to communicate. I was made to communicate through speaking, through writing. That's how I'm designed. And I'm learning to not fight my design. God made me perfectly. And when God gives me his green light, guess what? That's enough. And I don't have to answer to anybody for what God and I decide is right for my life. And that is a freeing thing for me. Completely freeing. So do I believe women can learn and then teach even men? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus did. Jesus completely believed that. Do I believe women can hold pastoral roles? Yes, 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 and amen over and over and over again. And again, like the Deborah scenario, it breaks my heart to think of how many women have been passed over for the simple fact that they're girls. For the simple fact that they're look at, looked at as weaker for being too emotional. Well, you know what? Let me, ju- let me just say, side note here, this whole emotional thing, oh, she's just being emotional. I got to tell you, I have seen women carry their emotions with such strength and fierceness. And I have watched men completely run their lives on emotion and be tossed from sideways up to sideways down Monday through Friday. And I've watched women hold themselves when all hell breaks loose to be strong for their families, to be strong for their children. And I've seen men completely crumble. Now, I've seen the opposite too. But my point is, that's just people. It has nothing to do with being a man or a woman. It, it has to do with the kind of person that you are, the kind of strength that you hold, the kind of character you have, the kind of integrity that you live and, and breathe with. Being emotional and being led by your emotion has nothing to do with being a girl. How you hold your emotion has to do with how you hold your life. Are women naturally more empathetic? Often, yeah. Are women naturally um, more in tune with things of an emotional nature, nurturing that sort of thing? Yeah. I kind of think that's what makes some of them so badass, to be honest with you. I think that when a, when a woman can, can hold a leadership role and be in touch with everyone's emotion in the room and lead from an empathetic, caring, wise place, I think a lot of men could learn from that. Just being frank with you. Now, having that said, I know some men and I have and have worked side by side with some men who do that same thing beautifully, who lead with integrity, who lead within character, who who don't lead by anger, which is an emotion, by the way. Emotion doesn't always mean tears. Anger is definitely an emotion. Um, 
who lead by ang- who don't lead by anger and who lead with with integrity and strength and wisdom i i've had the honor and the privilege of working alongside men like that they're amazing so the idea that one can do it better than the other is so silly <laughs> it's just silly we need each other the the human race needs each other men and women we need each other and we're going to get closer to the full image of God when men and women both are operating freely in the way that they were designed to do their life. Tying it all back to the beginning. In the beginning, God made men and women as equal God image bearers side by side. And I think that's where we should probably start trying to get back to. So I hope that that this sparked something in you. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. I am loving doing it. Um, next week is a super fun episode. I'll give you a little teaser. I'm interviewing a former pastor and friend of mine, Jonathan Bowles. Those in Kansas City probably know that name. And those of you that don't, he started um, the largest internship program um, in churches on his own. Like he started it and he was on the ground floor of probably most of the internship programs that you think of when you think of youth ministry. Um, he was a, a front runner, a leader in that. And um, he's now stepped away from being mega church leader to not being mega church leader and is... Um, now on the outside of all of that and has a lot to say. So I look forward to sharing that interview with you. It was a great interview, great conversation, and that is next week. Thank you for joining today. Love you all. Uh, If you get a chance, you like this podcast, rate us on iTunes, subscribe, all those good things. They help this, this keep moving. So thank you. God bless. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. I would love to connect with you further. You can find me and links to my Facebook and Instagram accounts on my website, justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next time for more honest, real, and sometimes raw conversation. See you then. Peace.